Over 200,000 of the homeless people in the United States of America are women and girls. The most needed and understocked item in homeless shelters, feminine hygiene products. Joy Road Media is proud to tell you about the Clean Love Project. The Clean Love Project's mission is to help women and young girls feel clean, loved, and empowered by distributing clean love kits to alleviate their hygiene needs. Go to thecleanloveproject.org to find out how you can help. The Clean Love Project focuses on the Metro Detroit area, but it also distributes kits worldwide. If you are a female in need of a clean love kit, go to thecleanloveproject.org and request one today. Joy Road Media is a proud supporter of the Clean Love Project at thecleanloveproject.org. Hello guys, gals, and non-binary pals to the Are You Listening podcast, the podcast where just a couple of guys give each other a record that the other one hasn't heard, and at the end we make a decision if the person who hasn't heard it is going to put it on the throne is going to own it or is going to groan at it. And we're going to move on and pretend like this never happened. <laughs> I am Brandon. I'm here with my friend, Scott. Scott, what's going on today? Not much, brother. How you doing? Good. You feeling good today? Ready I'm, for this? I'm doing good. Yeah. We can. Let's just jump right into it. Sounds good to me. Today, we are talking about the seminal REM album, Murmur, which is their debut album. Before we dive into the album itself, I'm going to give you a little background on REM as a band and such and... Feel free to jump in wherever you want here, Scott. Sure. Yeah, before you jump into the background and stuff, I just want to yes. appreciate the fit you got going on right now. Oh, I, I indeed have the <laughs> REM Murmur t-shirt on today. Yes, you do. Uh, I, I had to. So the guy wearing the REM shirt is now going to present to you REM's backstory. Perfect. REM was an American rock band formed in 1980 in Athens, Georgia. Peter Buck was managing a record store that is the place where he met Michael Stipe. Apparently, the story goes that Michael Stipe was going in there and buying all of the records up that Peter Buck was, like, saving for himself. Okay. So they kind of like, oh, we have a lot in common here. We, we really like the same music. And that's what, you know, they got together. And then a mutual friend introduced them to Mike Mills and Bill Berry, who were already living together. And then they formed R.E.M. out of that. Oh, neat. So R.E.M., 1980 that's that, that's pretty that's that's early that's early for that's the earliest we've ever done on the show i believe this yeah. is the earliest album we've ever done at least yeah the band personnel was as follows guitarist peter buck mm-hmm. drummer bill berry bassist mike mills and lead vocalist michael stipe now even though michael stipe was lead vocalist throughout the band's entire career they always did the whole uh, everybody gets equal credit for everything they're all credited on every song. They're all no matter who input more. And it was always a democracy. And that comes to be a thing in the band is if there if it was even argued, they would not go through with it. I always appreciate that. Everything was decided upon together. Yeah, I like that. During April 1981, REM recorded its first single, Radio Free Europe. It, it They only printed up 7000 copies of it, but it was still listed that year as one of the 10 best singles by The New York Times. Oh, wow. Following that, R.E.M. recorded their Chronic Town EP with producer Mitch Easter in October 1981, and the band turned down a contract with RCA Records to sign with IRS Records, and they released the, the EP in August of 82. Oh, wow. So, okay. So they turned down a major label yeah. to sign with this independent label, IRS. Sweet. Are you familiar with IRS Records at all? Not that I am aware of off the top of my head. Okay, you will at least know some of these people involved, and when I give you the list of bands that run IRS, you'll you probably you probably own a record that IRS put out. Okay, sweet. IRS was formed by Miles Copeland the third, and if Copeland sounds like a com- like a name you're familiar with, it's because he was a manager of the police that his brother 
Oh, his brother. The, he, his brother was the drummer of the police. Stuart oh. Copeland? I think okay. it's Stuart. There is a long and tangled history. I guess, I guess not super long, but the police is, and REM are kind of very hand in hand together. Like they put a lot of money behind getting REM up. IRS was kind of kind of the police's label because their manager owned it. Okay. And then REM actually opened for the police for a while. That's pretty cool. That was kind of their first tour. Actually, they may have taken, I don't have it written down, but I think they may have been touring with the police before their album. Like they were oh, just wow. running their, they were running their, because REM is, did that old school thing that you don't see anymore where they went out and they played all these tracks and they did all of this shit and they just locked it all down before even recording the album. Like they had their stuff tied down. Right. That's which awesome. Is, it's how it used to be. You used to go out, play your music and then record the album. Exactly. Now it's the opposite, 100%. Other acts that IRS Records has put uh, albums out for include, in alphabetic order, mind you, just so we're not presenting anything to seem like this band's more important than this one. The Bangles, Black Sabbath, The Buzzcocks, The Cramps, The Damned, Dead Kennedys, Fine Young Cannibals, The Go-Go's, and Oingo Boingo. Oh my gosh. So they were just putting it out. That is an amazing set of bands. Yeah, the Damned and Dead Kennedys; those are two pretty big bands for me. Yeah, Buzzcocks and the Cramps are two Buzzcocks big bands too. Yeah, that too. Yeah, yeah, it, and and I mean, if you get Oingo Boingo and such like that, like they were huge in the new wave then, also. Yeah, I think I've seen the Bangles live. <laughs> That's pretty crazy. Are the Bangles the band and Gilmore Girls that are performing and they go to see them together? It's when Rory. Wants I think to- so. Rory wants to like not be close to her mom and her mom is it her mom and Suki get seats like way off in the back. I think it's the Bengals. I think so. And it's really odd that we know that fact. (laughs) No, it isn't. It's perfect. (laughs) IRS has paired REM with producer Stephen Haig to record their debut album. Stephen Haig had produced albums for the Pet Shop Boys, Blur, New Order, Susie and the Banshees. So you kind of understand where Stephen Haig was in music. Sure. If you hear those names. Yeah. His whole thing was he wanted technical perfection Ooh. to the point where he made REM. This is the story. He made them play the song catapult 40 times in a row. My gosh. And it infuri- it infuriated the band. Yeah. No wonder. And then apparently he also finished a track by himself and added his own keyboards to it. Are you serious right now? Yeah, that is insanity. It would make sense then why the band went to the label and said, we don't want this guy. Could we have Mitch Easter, the guy who did their Chronic Town EP? Okay. They offered him a tryout and then they recorded Pilgrimage with Mitch Easter and his production partner, Don Dixon. Because of, and by the way, the trial was successful. The label said, yeah, you you, you go ahead, do, do it with Mitch Easter and Don Dixon. We like Pilgrimage. Don't worry about Stephen Haig. Like, we're done. Right. Good. Good. 40 times in a row. That is fucking yeah. nuts. I mean, even even 15 times in a row is insane. Yeah. That, that <laughs> is more than enough to automatically hate playing that song ever again. And I think that they have rarely played it live also. I may be wrong, but I think they've rarely played it live. Yeah, I never would. <laughs> like if that was me nah now because of the bad experience they had with Stephen Haig the band recorded the album via a process of negation refusing to incorporate rock music cliches such as guitar solos or the then popular synthesizers in order to give the music a more timeless feel okay I like that little fun fact here okay. it, it was said that Stipe recorded his vocals in a darkened stairwell off to the side of the studio I love it just just being you know just an artist i guess like just this is what i'm gonna do and i I don't think they had a vocal booth so maybe he just wanted to be alone i don't know i was gonna say was it that or was it because personally i hate it when people watch me sing or play funny fact in my (laughs) history when i recorded for my first split with my friend rick it was myself rick and then our engineer, we can call him our friend Mark, <laughs> hanging out at his house. 
and we were recording in the living room. I made Rick and Mark leave the house while I recorded my the house. three songs. Yes, they. I made them leave the house. Like I was like, I don't want you listening to this until it's on tape and you're editing and all that stuff. So they went outside and threw a Frisbee around while I was in the living room playing guitar and then rewinding and recording my vocals and every it was it was wild. That it sounds that is a wild thing, guys. You get get out of the house. Yes, you can't even go in the other room. Leave. I I tried it on the first song I recorded with them. There, they were in the living room while I was playing guitar, and I messed up so many times. I was like, "Dudes, can you get out of the room for a bit? Like, just <laughs> like don't just get out of the room." And so they went and went into the kitchen and like had snacks and was drinking, and I still messed up. And I was like, "Guys, guys, no." Um, <laughs> Can you get out of the house for a bit while I do you, this? You were a diva. I no, it wasn't that. It was just I kept fucking up. But then you were automatically like, all right, you're you're it's you guys' fault. Get out. Get out. <laughs> well, after after attempting the fifteenth time of recording one song. <laughs> Another fun fact about this album that I think you'll like this fun fact a lot. Okay. They had two output audio like output monitors like speakers in the studio yeah sure peter buck walked across the street to a salvation army and bought two plastic dinosaurs that they then marked as l and r and put them on top of the monitors oh okay yeah rem then used those dinosaurs in every album they've ever made that's so awesome that's super <laughs> cool that's just so imagine them taking these dinosaurs that was bought from a Salvation Army in 1983 into the studio in like 2004. That's awesome. <laughs> that's so cool. That's, that's yeah, that's super cool. As mentioned, this was released in 1983, specifically April 12th, 1983. Okay. And here is a super fun fact about 1983. Not only is it the year REM released their debut album, mm -hmm. it is the year that Metallica released their debut album. Oh, wow. Yeah, kill them all. It is also the year Slayer released their debut album. Yeah. So Slayer, Metallica, and R.E.M. all released their debut albums in 1983. That is a huge year for music. Yeah, that's wild. That's, that's so insane. awesome. Yeah. It's insane. And it's, and it's crazy, like, the difference between R.E.M. and Metallica and Slayer. <laughs> I just took some of the bigger albums from 1983 in addition sure. to a couple that were released in April. But some of the, the biggest ones in 83, Thriller. Thriller came out in 84. Oh, yeah. That record is huge. And, and good reason, because it's phenomenal. But Other huge album from 83 was mm -hmm. Mental Health by Quiet Riot. Yes, that's a big one, too. War by U2. I'm not a big U2 guy. I've never listened to a U2 record. You haven't? Nope. Oh, shit. What, are you going to give me Joshua Tree? Yes, that would be the one that I would <laughs> give you. Damn it. The only two songs I know by U2 are Vertigo Ugh. and... And um, Sunday, Bloody Sunday, is that them? Yeah, that's them. Yeah, those are the only two I know. There's another song off Joshua Tree that you would know, but I can't remember it off the top of my head, but it's all over the radio still, I think. Uh, one of the other biggest albums from 83 was ZZ Top's Eliminator. Yes, God, I love that record. That has all the big ones. It all has all hits. the big ones, yes. All the hits. And I, lo I love that cover. I love that car. Like that, that yeah. That record is phenomenal. A, a debut album that came out in 83, the same month, actually, as this, was Violent Femmes' debut album. Yes. God, man, I love 83. I didn't realize it, but 83 is huge. Yeah. Other April albums, Bowie's Let's Dance came out. Yes. Bad Brains' Rock for Light came out. I don't know that one off the top of my nope, head. I do not. I know Bad Brains. I love Bad Brains, but I don't know that record. In April was uh, Minor Threats Out of Step. Yes. That's a huge one. Yeah. 83 was killing it. And I was one year old. I was negative seven. You were negative seven. <laughs> Heading into the Billboard charts here, the Hot 100 of 1983. Number one, it had to be expected, Michael Jackson with Billie Jean. Yes. And now we're really going to get into where music is here with number two. Dexie's Midnight Runners, Come On Eileen. Yes. What a great song. And what a wild new wave band. Have you ever listened to any of their other stuff? I have listened to that one record. It's the one, the one that wild. Come On Eileen is on. It's, it's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. Like Come On Eileen isn't what that band is. No. 
it's 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 insane but it's what they are remembered as yeah and they i think they accept it too you know it's like okay i mean they showed that song probably made them a crap ton of money number three was mr roboto sticks big big sticks guy number four on the hall 100 i don't even know what this is the grenkin the greg kin band with jeopardy do you know what that track is i don't know that track i know the band kind of i think only by seeing the name yeah i imagine if we heard it we probably know it considering that it's up with these other five tracks these other four tracks yeah i imagine we would number five michael jackson again but with beat it this time yeah thriller is just a hell of a record it's just it's got track after track that's just phenomenal on the billboard top 200 it actually sits on number two in 19 on this week in 1983 really even though Billy Jean was number one yeah. and Beat It was number five, it sat at number two on the top 200. Oh, man. I mean, I was going to say take a guess, but I don't know if you, you know what I mean? It's, it's I'm so ever going to be so able to guess. Things. So I'll just, I'll just, well, actually, I'll read you the from the bottom up. Number five on the top 200. Yeah. Was Stevie Nicks's The Wild Heart. Okay. Number four was Def Leppard's Pyromania. Huge album. Huge album. Number three was the Flashdance soundtrack. Oh, wow. Okay. Number two was Thriller. And then yep. number one was Synchronicity by The Police. Oh, wow. So The Police had a number one album. Yeah. The week that IRS put out R.E.M.'s debut album. Crazy. That's awesome. You would say that that's almost, you know, Synchronicity right there. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get any reviews for this because... Uh, they were all good like yeah there 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 wasn't the worst i found was like a four and a half star review so i just feel rather than going through people praising this album we can just talk about it from there well then i assume like there are a lot of like newer reviews there's a yeah murmur reached 36 on the charts from their debut album that's crazy and was voted by rolling stone as the record of the year that year Wow, that's pretty amazing. Considering that Thriller came out in 83. (laughs) Yeah, wow. So I guess we're learning that that Rolling Stone used to kind of be on the little like edge of things a little bit. Like it wasn't. The album sold 200,000 albums by the end of 83 and it was certified gold by 91. Okay. Slow burner, but it underperformed at first. Is what they said. I mean, don't get me wrong. 200,000 copies of your debut album is pretty Pretty amazing yeah but uh, most of the band members have all done interviews talking about how bands will never there will never be a band that can do what rem did because they were given time to settle into who they are because if 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 your first record underperforms in 2022 you're going to get dropped by your label that's it yeah you're done but they were allowed to put out album and album and album and it Technically, it was four albums, I think, before they like broke huge. Okay. Which isn't the amount of albums that record labels usually give no. a band trying to find their footing. Yeah, for sure. But they were huge in Georgia. They were huge college band. They were huge, you know. Yeah. The I, police helped them. I always considered R.E.M. like a, a college radio type band. And they actually attribute, well... I don't know if I don't know if they do, but it's been said that a lot of their success could be attributed to college students getting the albums. And I, I actually, I guess I could present this. I don't know if you know this. They would never include lyric sheets. They would never include oh, okay. any anything in the booklets. And they also never would specify which side of the album was A or B. Oh, wow. Which is it sounds insane. Yeah. It sounds very insane. That would probably annoy the crap out of me. <laughs> now, the A or B thing is insane. That's what I mean. But once you listen to R.E.M. and you hear Michael Stipe's vocals, it's even crazier that they didn't include lyric sheets. Yeah, we'll get into that when I when I go track by track. But yes, yeah. But but they said that some the reason they might be successful is because college kids were buying the records and then they would sit in their dorms and try to figure out what he's saying. Yeah. And now members of the band have said that if you knew Michael Stipe and you talk to him, that's kind of just how he talks. He mumbles a lot. <laughs> yeah. And they said, if you knew Michael and you could have a conversation with him, you would be able to understand every word in the songs, which right. is, it's also insane to me. Yeah. So the album is 12 tracks. 
Mm-hmm. 44 minutes, 11 seconds, which is also weird that there's 12 tracks on a debut album. In 83, everything was 10. Like 10, 10 tracks right. was yeah. what an album was. So to yeah. put 12 on your debut, pretty insane. That is. I want to start opening up the, the album conversation by talking. I think we don't give enough appreciation to album art, and this isn't just because I'm wearing the shirt. <laughs> but like, I think album art, especially then, kind of less now, but we can talk about that when we get to a newer album. Mm-hmm. Album art then meant a lot to the album and to the sales of that album well yeah and the rem murmur album it's a it's like a train trestle and it's covered in kudzu which is a invasive like vine in the Mm -hmm. south mainly that like eats things you may have seen some on your recent vacation (laughs) i don't think i did but i wasn't looking out for it yes but in in 83 albums didn't look like this albums did not look like that no. And it and it being released from REM, it kind of made like the South would have seen that and been like, that's a southern band. Even though you right. I don't I don't know if you'd listen to REM and be like, that sounds like a southern band. But I guess it could at times too. Yeah, I well, I heard some southern ish type things on the record. This album genre wise seems to be described as like jangle pop meets like folk with some country in intertwined it's it's hard to place it's yeah it's kind of all over the place most people say that this is like the prototype for alternative music i will also get into that as we talk (laughs) track by track there is a lot of influences pulled by rem present on this record there is also a lot of influence pulled from rem in future bands future records I think. And I know we're going to get into this a lot mm-hmm. when we do when you do your track rundown. But they the band did see Michael Stipe's vocals as not the front. It was just seen as another instrument. Yeah. Which is which is why it's never dominant on any tracks. It's just kind of it's in there. It's there. Yeah. And most of what he's saying, you, you might be able to figure out or guess, but you're never sure. Nope. No, I didn't know what the hell he was saying until I looked up the lyrics on my like third or fourth listen through. But but even then, even once you look up the lyrics, you you're still about the oh, same area. You're like, I oh, have okay. no idea what the words mean. I just <laughs> yes. know what they were as I was listening and reading. Yes. And anytime any REM books I've read, anything I've heard about Michael Stipe is he was just this this artistic, creative kind of off kilter. But you know, shy, but not it, it, just an enigma. Like he was just an yeah. enigma of a person that hearing that and then like looking at the lyrics and seeing the lyrics and be like, I, okay, yeah, I, I see it. While I was listening and reading the lyrics, I got very Jim Morrison vibes okay. from him. But yeah, I got very Doors, Jim Morrison vibes from Michael Stipe and REM as far as as being a front man and lyrically because the the lyrics are just kind of out there. This word fits in this place. This one rhymes with this one Uh, poetry kind of that doesn't really make sense. This album opens up with the single that they had recorded two years earlier, radio free Europe. Yeah. Well, I'll start going track by track. This kind of threw me because I have a very passing sort of remedial knowledge of rem based off of their single their big hit yeah based off of like two singles that i've ever heard so this track threw me thinking that there may have been two vocalists on it because michael stipe's vocal style as far as like the verses go does not sound like michael stipe that i knew from the singles that were like from the 90s or whatever yeah yeah. Um there was a little hint of like that vocal style in the chorus where his his voice kind of took a higher pitch where I would say sounded like Michael Stipe that I knew. Even though all the band members are like categorized as bassist whatever, they're all yeah. kind of multi-instrumentalists. They've all done different things on different albums and such. Sure. And I'm I'm sure there were backing I'm sure that some of the band did backing vocals and stuff and you know tracks here and there. I don't have the entire production credits out for me. <laughs> right, yeah. This track reminded me of a band that came out much, much, much later with a kind of country-ish bit in there. 
and the vocals really reminded me of a band called Your Favorite Trainwreck. I've never heard of them in my life. And when did they come out? They were like mid 2000, maybe 2010 ish. Yeah. So they, imagine Radio Free Europe being recorded in 81. That's what I'm saying. Like, th- this is one of those things where I'm seeing their influence in later stuff, right? I And I, I think I've heard this song before. You may have. Uh, seeing as how it's like a big single from them, but I, yeah. I definitely would not have recognized it as REM. And coming off the first track, are you leaning a certain way one way or the other as like this, I, I like this, I don't like this? Like, where are you heading? So like, I always use our records that we give each other as background music for the first couple listens through. Yeah. Um, and as background music, this is is great. I, I agree 100%. I, yeah. love, I, I love this record as background music. In addition to, I mean, I'm wearing the shirt. So right. my my <laughs> I, my opinion on this record, I think, is already known. I, I adore this record. This record, in addition to a couple, well, at least two other REM records, blew me away. Because, mm-hmm. especially the time period. Were you... Were there times where you had to remind yourself that this was 81, 83? I mean, yeah, kind of. Because like I said, there's a lot of influence going back and forth on this record. Yeah. Yeah. Pulling a lot of influences from different bands and then a lot of different bands probably pulling influence from this record. I had to constantly remind myself that this is this record came out when I was one years old. Yes. like And, yeah. and for it being of that time, I probably would have been just in awe of what this record was i mean of course being one i was in awe of my pinky finger i mean <laughs> yes. more more in the vein of now appreciating things from 83 yes it's it sounds completely different than anything else that came out in 83 i like the idea of like a diapered scott sitting there with a full-size murmur LP, just be like, you know what? Radio Free Europe's a great single, guys. One hundred percent. But yeah, no, I actually really did enjoy this track. Um, but it, yeah, it took me a few listens to take away my first off to take away the way I heard Michael Stipe's voice. Okay, because I'm used to it's the end of the world as we know it, Michael yeah. Stipe, which has more of a unique sound to it than murmur so it took me a bit to get past that and get into just hearing the voice on this i know where you're at and i had an idea about his voice because when well stick and i decided last year two years ago shout out stick we just decided we were going to listen to a, a band together and and i just threw out rem and we were like all right let's do it so then we started listening to these records at the same time and like just texting each other back and forth about like what we're hearing and shit like that oh sure yeah and the only, I think the only REM that I knew, and maybe even he knew, was the big hits. Losing My Religion, yeah, Orange Crush, and End of the World. I think those are the three big REM hits. Those are the ones that I knew as well. I definitely like it way more than he did, I think. <laughs> but whereas you're hearing the old influences and the new influences, I don't think I listened to who influenced them. Mm-hmm. And I didn't listen to who they influenced. So this to me is like s- unbelievably fresh. Right. Because I, I think you'll get into both of those. Probably you'll get into who you heard influenced them and who you heard they influenced. And you'll probably find out that I didn't listen to them or maybe even don't like them. Right. Yeah. <laughs> there's a possibility because there's a big one in here. I'm going to guess right now what it is. And it's it. it some people call REM like proto grunge. Yes. Yeah, 100%. My opinions on grunge have been pretty well pointed out here that I'm not a grunge fan. Right. We'll we'll get into it on the specific song, but okay. I definitely hear like the basis of grunge in this record. And it blew me away. Like it I I was amazed. Uh Pilgrimage. I really really appreciated the vocal harmonies on this one. They sounded great. Um the parts uh the take your turn parts in this uh, were just amazing. Not sure if there were bongos in this track, but the percussion was was pretty wild and unexpected. I think there's something that they said that uh, drummer Bill Barry would he recorded in a drum booth, which mm-hmm. wasn't wasn't done at the time. It was kind of an antiquated thing, I think, at the time. Okay, so that maybe the sounds is you hear like the drums cleaner. 
Yeah, the the drums on this whole record are very present and kind of at the forefront of each song. The production itself is very thin, I think is what we you could call it. Like okay. it's a very thin production. There's not a lot done to it seemingly. Yeah. <laughs> you know what no, I mean? It's it's a very live in the studio type album it feels like but that's also kind of reminiscent of that time i always appreciate that i love live and studio albums i hate i hate it when it's we've gone over it before i hate it when it's overproduced and chopped and everything like that um in you you did like wormwood i yes i did (laughs) that thing was produced into the goddamn ground (laughs) that that is true that's the exception to the rule yes there there are a few exceptions to the rule but i i appreciate more the live and studio type recordings well there they always talk about basically every member of rem for how different they were playing their individual instruments like the drums like you said they're out in front yeah the the guitars it said that peter buck was wasn't as proficient with his left hand is where like that's usually where all the noodling and stuff goes on yeah but his right hand they said he was very proficient so in, in lieu of doing all the noodling on the frets he would do like these insane picking patterns i guess right yeah and I think that that's what creates a lot of the jangle sound you hear, sure. like the jangle pop and stuff. Well, yeah, because then you wouldn't be moving your left hand along the strings as much. So you mm-hmm. would let the notes would sustain more on the guitar by not moving your hand as much. There's definitely a lot of like articles that say in a very polite way that he wasn't like <laughs> a incredibly skilled guitarist. Sure. But the things he did were so inventive and different that it got i mean obviously they were successful yeah (laughs) yeah he definitely made do with his capabilities that's for sure yeah all right next track yeah laughing uh from the opening baseline i loved this track i felt so familiar and comfortable i don't really have much to say about it just that i really loved it like this is where i think the beginnings of the alternative base of grunge started for me realizing that in this record because like i said that familiar feeling i got from it i grew up with grunge being huge in my life yeah and i can definitely feel the ground floor of grunge starting here so then maybe we can figure out at what floor i lost my my uh the appreciation next one. of grunge then the, the next one the, the, the very next floor <laughs> the very next floor i'm pretty sure you are aware that michael stipe and kirk cobain were friends right We'll get into that. Okay. <laughs> okay. Talk about the passion. The second single. This was a single. This was the second single. Okay. This track was kind of just meh to me. It took me a while. And when I finally got into the lyrics, like looking up the lyrics and stuff, I appreciated the French, as we talked about in our Megadeth episode. You know, it kind of it kind of took me by surprise, but the lyrics didn't make any damn sense to me. I knew there was going to be that rub for you on this i i knew that there'd be some he's a big lyric guy and I am. If, and if 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 that's what you're trying to get out of this you might it's not rough. enjoy yourself. yeah so not that i didn't enjoy myself but going yeah. through this on my like fourth listen through while i looked at the lyrics i was like what the hell is he talking about on almost every song and then I really got into this mindset where like he is just repeating himself over and over and over again. And it, it almost took me out because they're like, even the verses on certain songs, he just repeats the verses. But a, a lot of the songs, I don't, you, you've probably noticed this. They make you wait for that chorus. Like they make you yeah. sit back and, and then the song almost sounds like maybe a different song once that chorus hits, but then once they get back to the verse, it's definitely sounds like the song. It's it's an, it's crazy to me. It's hard yeah. for me to explain the complexities that I hear in this. Sure, but no. I I love it. Yeah, no, I I don't not like it. Yeah, it's just when I got in. It's when I got into the the really deep dive that we get into, where I was looking at the lyrics while listening. That I was just like, okay, when I heard this the first couple times. It definitely didn't sound like it was the same words over and over again. But when I went through it lyrically, I was like, okay, uh, can we say something else? Yeah. Is is there anything else to say about this song? Nope. Okay. And I don't know what does it for me that makes me separate that because I'm sure I'm going to contradict myself. 
because I'm sure I've said before that I'm a big lyric guy. Yeah, but I, but this, I don't I don't care about the lyrics. Right. Like I I love it together. It's weird. I I yeah. am again. I'm the hypocrite. I'm the music hypocrite that doesn't listen to music. We've we've covered <laughs> right. this on the show. Right. I I I don't know what it is, and I'd like to figure it out, but I also don't want to figure it out. Yeah, if you figure it out, it it might ruin it. Yes, <laughs> it might ruin music for you. Yeah. Next track, Moral Kiosk. Uh, yeah. I love the use of what sounds like clapping and foot stomping in this song. Like, I don't know if it actually is clapping and foot stomping, but it sounds like it to my ear. And I really appreciate that. We've gone over me picking out little nuggets and songs that I really like that are just off the wall type things. And this is one of those. Like, I really liked that. And the um, inside cold, dark fire twilight parts, I really liked. But Um, still, every track. By the way, we might as well just put a subtitle on every track. No no clue what he's talking about. No idea. Not not a damn clue what he's saying. But I appreciate it. If you go to like Genius, there is a lot of stuff that says this is in reference to this. Like over the years, they've deciphered and figured out. And he's done in interviews, like talked about certain tracks that Mm -hmm. you hear. And you're like, oh, oh, yeah. Didn't know that. Didn't expect (laughs) any of that. Didn't pull that. But okay. And then the little drum break on this track really reminded me of joy division okay which here we go i've never listened to yeah i think they're already on the list for you um because i really i really do think you would like joy division a lot especially since you got into your like new wave thing there's something you're gonna have to listen to and appreciate sometime down the road but that that little drum break there really reminded me of joy division and i I really liked it all right what's the, the next track the next track is perfect circle uh, the yes. parts in the chorus when he goes a little higher in his vocal range, where I recognize it's Michael Stipe, the line is shoulders high in the room. And in that shoulders, like his voice gets a little bit higher. That's where I recognize it. And I like, I really liked that. It's it the way he sang it sounded just so perfect and beautiful to me. Like it's, it sounded great. It makes me wish he would go for it a little more often, like, like kind of push his vocals out more to the vocal range where I know Michael Stipe from, but I I love the fade out of everything at the end of this track. It, it's not the whole track that fades out. It's separate instruments that fade out kind of like in steps. And I, re- I really liked that. This track, probably not to the level that this year is for Mountain Goats, Yeah, but Perfect Circle is not only is it my favorite REM track, it Mm. is one of my favorite tracks of all time. I love it so much. It reminds me of and I don't know why, because this wouldn't have been playing at my junior high dances, (laughs) but it, 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 it gives me the feeling of like you're at a junior high dance, like the person you wanted to dance with agreed to dance with you. You're out there feeling super uncomfortable, but it's such a magical moment in your right. life. And it, and that's what it, it gives me those kind of vibes that it's like a junior high dance, but a positive one because right. most of junior high is not positive. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I actually would put when I when I would go when I was going to the doctors a bunch to like check out my heart and all my blood pressure. I would put the song on in the car on repeat and listen to it two or three times to bring my blood pressure down. In oh, the yeah. Oh, wow. That's how much that's how much I love this track. All right. What's next? Catapult. The song that they played into the ground. Recording this. This is the most odd pronunciation of the word catapult I have ever heard in my life. Catapult. Yeah. <laughs> when I listened to it without the lyrics, I didn't know what the hell he was saying. Not a clue. Yeah, not, <laughs> not, a clue. not a clue. It's just, yeah, it was wild. Because even though there's no lyric sheet, though, it's definitely an album that when you bought it in 1983, presumably on LP, you would yeah. be listening to it and looking at the sleeve the whole time you're listening. So you would at least know he was saying catapult, I guess. Uh, maybe. I don't know. I don't I don't even know if I'd pull that from the title of the song. <laughs> Even though the title of the song is Catapult, you're like, nope. I don't know what he's saying. God damn it, do I love Michael Stein. <laughs> <laughs> Sitting Still is the next track. This is where I get the Kurt Cobain feeling. Okay. It's it's crazy, but I hear Kurt Cobain in this song. Like, not okay. obviously not his voice and not, but just the way that Michael sings what he's singing. Because the lyrics, the lyrics are also wild and out there and don't make any goddamn sense but that's also like i wonder if 
Kurt pulled this from Michael Stipe, like that style of writing and that style of singing from this song, like it just, it just resonated Kurt Cobain with me. I don't know exactly how their relationship started or like how deep it was, but I know it was something like that Kurt Cobain loved Michael Stipe. Like he, yeah. he, he thought he was a genius artist and I think he met him and they became close. I think Michael Stipe may have been like one of the last conversations Kurt Cobain had. And I know you don't oh, like wow. talking about that shit, but I, I thought I read an interview that like he called him the day before or something like that. Anyway, Sorry. back into the song. The, cor- <laughs> the chorus is a banger. I love the chorus on this song. Yeah. Um, the dynamics of this track as well, like sonically, it is great from when he goes into that kind of whispered part and then busts out with like a very strong vocal right after that part is is just phenomenal. That was another thing that I kind of took the Kurt Cobain feel because Kurt Cobain always had that that crazy like stranglehold on dynamics with his vocals. Uh, and I definitely got that from this track, too. Uh, next up is it nine dash nine or is it nine nine i think it's nine i think it's nine nine i i i don't i don't know i've, I've never heard anybody you know talk about the the title so i'm not sure okay um, i think it's nine nine i gotcha nine nine so nine nine uh this track has kind of a a, a really weird vibe to me only because of its just because it's on this record that i get a weird vibe like i get a vibe from i don't know if you know madness like the the british ska band like first wave ska um sure don't i don't know if it's first wave or second wave whatever wave you want to call it you can just the whole ocean of ska if it's not (laughs) bucko nine or streetlight manifesto or real big fish i'm out gotcha or less than jake is less than jake considered ska yes they are they're 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 punk ska yeah okay but I definitely get madness feelings from this, but o- only in the drums and the guitar parts, which make up like the the base of the song. Uh, not lyrically, obviously, but this this song is is uh, wild to me just because of it doesn't feel like it belongs on this record to me. Not that I don't like it. Like I I like this song a lot. It's just such a like a, a change that I was just like, where the hell is this coming from? <laughs> like, I, I, I love it. I just, this is the craziest thing. Because you go from a very grunge sounding song to a very British ska reggae sounding song to me in 9-9. Like, just those two things feel like they shouldn't mesh to me or be present on the same record. But they do. That's your feeling now. But, like, considering most of this stuff would have sounded odd to people because this is not what music sounded like yeah do you think that what that's why it squeaked by is because it was just it was just another weird sound that they weren't used to yeah quite possibly and that that's the thing that i'm saying about the influence on this just being so crazy obviously i think kurt cobain took some influence from still standing i think rem took some influence from madness and joy division like in and the doors and just all these other crazy bands that don't belong together but rem meshes them together like forcefully packing them like a big mud ball and it and it works like it's just it's just so wild to me how many other bands took influence from this record is just yeah like it's it's it could be infinite. Like every band after 83 could have t- taken influence from this. And every band before 83 could have brought influence to this. Like it's yeah. just, it's such like a, like a fixed point in time. This record feels to me like there is no other time that this record could come out than 1983 based on the influences the band took from and the influence that came from this band on this record. So you definitively here 1983 then or you just like my idea of 83 because i obviously wasn't cognizant of what was going on in 83 when i was one but yeah this is a very time present and captivating record so so they didn't accomplish for you what they tried to do they tried to make a timeless record no this this to me is a timeless record Okay, But it is very present in the time that it came out based on what came out previously and what came out afterwards. The influencers and the influencees. Yes. Shaking Through, the next song. Yes. Uh, this one was a little bit of a that, that country flavor mixed in with it. A little bit of 
like a honky tonk type feel based on like the 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 kind of jangly piano. A lot of people say and it, it, until I read it a bunch, like a bunch of interviews and a bunch in their books, the, like fans talking about it, mm-hmm. that these first couple albums and Murmur in particular, when they were playing them, they are dancey. They are very dancey records. Like you yes. can dance to all of these. Yeah, like th- th- that's what I'm saying about the honky tonk feel. You got yeah. you got the what seems like an upright piano kind of sound, and then even I don't think it's a steel guitar, but kind of a another term, another jangly kind of instrument sounding guitar. Have you seen those guitars that have like the steel in the middle? Yes. Okay. The, they, uh, dire straits album cover yes exactly this uh <laughs> this definitely sounds like that kind of guitar to me yeah honky tonk dancey kind of feel to this song next up uh we walk kind of another wild turn on this album this may be their worst sin of repetition oh, i love this song so much <laughs> i i'm not saying i don't like it yeah i'm just saying the reuse and recycling of all the lyrics, this is where it hit ahead for me. Like, I was just like, my God, say something different. Just just one thing, please. Whenever you're listening to these records, you mm-hmm. listen to them, do you, do you, like, after a while, do you put them on shuffle and try to hear the songs in a different way, or do you just always stick to the track listing? I always stick to the track listing. Okay. I don't know. I'm, I'm a very album-centered listener. When I'm in the car, I still listen to full albums all the way through. I'm the same way, but when we are listening to things for this, or if it's something that's in my rotation, mm-hmm. like my monthly rotation, I will yep. throw it, like, if I will listen to it in the order until I have it down so much that I know what songs where. I love that feeling. Then I'll throw it on a shuffle and see if I hear different things in the tracks, because Eat the, the track leading into it could give you a different feeling, right? Co- coming maybe out, maybe I should try that from now on so that you don't get stuck in it. No, 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 I don't ever really get stuck like that, not usually. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I like the feeling of knowing what's coming next, like, I like being able to sing it <laughs> like before it starts. <laughs> here it comes, <laughs> yep, here it comes. I did appreciate the like the deep drum kind of thunder sound in this song. Just yeah. because I like I never knew when it was showing up because it, it, it didn't keep beat with anything else. Mm-hmm. It just showed up whenever it showed up. And I was like, oh, I like that. The band is definitely like you can hear all their individual pieces yeah. and they're like they're very clearly all individually there. But when you put them together is when they truly become the force that is already at. Like right. y- you can't separate them. Once you hear them together, you're like, wow. Yeah. They couldn't fit anywhere else. Yeah. No. And then to the album closer, uh, West of the fields. Yeah. Which may be the most, the most guilty of what the hell is he saying? 100%. <laughs> 100%. And it's, it's weird. I think it's because the two vocal tracks on it don't line up quite right. Yeah. So when they're saying West of the Fields, it doesn't sound, I was like, West of the, wait, what? Even once you know it, it, you can't. It still doesn't. Yeah, no, you can't. I really dig the track. But like I said, in the, in the chorus, the West of the Fields, like, like you hear West of, and then somebody else starts singing West of the Fields. And you're like, wait, no, you're, you're making up something (laughs) completely different. The lyrics get kind of jumbled up and it sounds like they're saying something else completely, but I really like this track a lot. So then after the closer uh, bookend test, we have radio free Europe to West of the fields. You got any opinions? There is quite a journey because they don't sound anything alike to me, but I feel like they are both walls to the container. That is this album. Sure. Everything in there is inside of the, those two walls and those two walls are clearly the walls. <laughs> yeah, sense. no, there's definitely I couldn't put another song on the off this record as a closer for sure. Yeah, I like how West of the Fields closes the record. As far as Radio Free Europe, I I don't think I could see another opener either. Catapult, man. Oh God, no! If <laughs> if this record started off with Catapult, I would have been done. But here's the thing: if side two opens with Catapult, and they don't mark what sides A or B. Uh, it would start, start yeah it would and it would end with perfect circle oh wow which is a different album i was just gonna say that would be a totally different feeling album 
I'm gonna be honest. I think I'm. I, I, th- I think I like that track. I think I, I like was that just gonna say I might prefer that. Honestly, like catapult to perfect circle. Side B's opened up with Radio Free Europe. Yeah, that's how you do. You start up side B with a single. Yeah, I would that, that. honestly love that. I think. Yeah, and and I think West of the Fields going into Radio Free Europe would sound great too. I want to do this now. You need to do it and get back to us. You need to take a break. Let's pause this. Pause the recording. <laughs> Go listen to the entire album, and then we'll come right back. Right. <laughs> wow. I yeah. If if you didn't yeah if you didn't know which side was which because I I don't have the record, mm-hmm. but if you didn't know which side was which and you started off with catapult. I don't want to say I would be completely out of it, especially now. I, I guess I'm kind of tipping my head as to my feelings towards this record. We're getting there. It's very soon. That question's yeah. going very soon. If I had started off with side B and gone to finish it with side A, I might honestly prefer that. So, because side... I, th- I love Perfect Circle so much as a closer, it's unbelievable to me. That's what I'm. That's what I'm saying. And you start off side B. The record would start off with Catapult and then get into Sitting Still. Mm-hmm. And then, nine, and then nine, go to nine nine, which, like I said, is such a crazy switch musically yeah. to me. But starting off a record like that, I think I would like that. Wow, wow, wild! That's such a different. That's such a different vibe. That's such a different. Wow. We'll have to report back on a future episode. We might have to. That's yeah. That's a different journey. Coming out of that different journey, let's talk about the journey you actually had. Yeah. And then now, now's the time, Scott. Yeah. REM's murmur thrown own or grown overall i really dig the record it's de- it's definitely something i can listen to in the background 100 i'll totally enjoy it in the background and like love it i'll say however when i started paying attention to the lyrics i kind of already went over it and, and hearing all the repetitive it kind of took me out a little bit but i can still i still appreciate it for what it is yeah yeah. Uh, especially I, I drove this into the ground, but the influences coming into this record and the influences coming out of this record, I think is it, it just makes this a great record. So it, it is definitely an own. Okay. Well, now I really want it so I can do the, the, the opposite <laughs> side test, which might be a test we might have to start doing, by the way. I mean, it could be. Like I said, I already shuffle stuff after a while. Yeah, so you... it's not a problem. It's not a problem for me. Right. Although it's, it's way easier to do with vinyl than it is to go in there and assemble the yeah, the opposite sides. Yeah. So before we came up with the opposite, opposite side test, uh, I would have said it's something that I would pick up if I saw it. Even on vacation, when I was out at the record stores, I, I looked for it. And if I had saw it, I, I would have picked it up. But now I kind of really want to find it so I can do the opposite side test properly. All that being said, it's still a known. Yeah. Where do you sit on, where does your REM opinion sit currently? Because it's only based off the couple singles you heard and then this album that sounded nothing like those singles. Yeah, no, I'm I'm kind of curious as to where they go from here. Curious is all I needed. Just because I can't see a straight line from this record to end of the world or losing my religion. Yeah. Even the lyrical part of it going yeah. from... Well, I can't tell you that in... I think it's life's rich pageant. They decided that I, and I think it was a Michael Stipe thing where he said, guys, we, we have a, people are paying attention to us. We need to say things that matter. So they kind of got political and that's kind of where that went from there. Going from this to losing my religion or end of the world or even orange crush. Those, those songs are lyrically, you understand them, (laughs) those songs where these ones, the ones off of Murmur, you're kind of scratching your head to the lyrics. But yeah, it's hard to see like where the band went from this record and ended up with, I mean, they, they didn't end up with End of the World, but where they got to End of the World from. Okay. All I needed was curious. So yeah, curious. W- w- whether that means something in the future, we'll find out. Sure. Uh, so R.E.M.'s Murmur was a own yeah. for you, a, a soft own, but an own. Yeah, I'm definitely not groaning about it. All right, Scott, so what was your top three off this record? Uh, I actually have a top four. I've, I've, top gotten, four. I've gotten into this pattern, it seems. Like yeah. <laughs> every record we've done the last little bit, I've, have, I've gone with four. You have a top three and an honorable mention. Yeah, so honorable mention, West of the Fields. Okay. 
I love that song. It's just the the damn West of the Fields parts. Just let me hear West of the Fields instead of West of, West of the Fields. No, I, I liked that. I really appreciated it as a closer. Number three, I think is definitely on your top three. Perfect Circle is my is my oh, number yeah. three. That's that's my number one. Perfect figured, Circle yeah. is my number one. I love that track so much. Yeah. I don't think my other I don't think my other two are gonna be in your top three. No? I don't think so. I probably can guarantee my number one isn't in your top three, but number two <laughs> is laughing. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, by the way, I love all these tracks. So like none of them, none of them you're going to say is going to be like, I don't see it because I love all these. Tracks. Right. Yeah. And then my number one sitting still. Yeah. No, none of them. None of them are in my top three. My other, my two and three are uh, ones that you actually kind of mad about is moral kiosk is two. Okay. And then we walk is probably three. Gotcha. Yeah, it's it's it's. I love this. I love how different we listen to things. <laughs> <laughs> this wasn't the only thing you listened to this week. So, what was your record of the week? <laughs> My record of the week, uh, quite interesting for me. Uh, it's definitely based on the, the the vacation I took. But Dolly Parton's New yeah. Harvest First Gathering. I saw that coming. And what uh, what year was that? Like, what album of hers is that? Oh man, I don't know. She has like 75 albums. Like she is amazing. Like I didn't realize it mm-hmm. until, I mean, I guess you don't realize how amazing Dolly Parton is until you pay attention. Her vocals are crazy good. And she was picked up, like she started uh, doing music when she was really young. I think she got on a TV show when she was 18. A lot of the stuff she has done though has been like covers. On this record, she does a cover of My Girl, which is she she changes my girl to my love but okay. um her vocals on her are just phenomenal and she is so heartfelt in her singing that you just feel it throughout the record just really good and then uh i watched this documentary on netflix about her and she's just a phenomenal person like mm-hmm. overall she's a phenomenal person what's your record of the week my record of the week is going to be very quick and simple because I listened to a bunch of stuff this week and a lot of it was kind of just meh. Like I liked some of it, but realistically the thing I listened to most and it's, it's kind of because of the show. Yeah. Uh, there was a deluxe edition of murmur put out in 2008. Oh, okay. And side B like CDB. Cause it was a CD. They were CDs put out. It's uh, I, like an entire concert of theirs oh, wow. from, from Larry's Hideaway in Toronto in 1983. Okay. It's they play mostly they actually probably every track off this I think. Every track oh, off neat. Murmur. There's like three or four tracks in their next album on it. And then I think I think every track from their EP on it also. It's it's like 16 tracks or something. Okay. But hearing just the tiny ways that they change these songs live. Like you you can hear West of the Fields in the live version. Hey, you can you hear go. it. <laughs> it's insane and i just feel like i don't really like a lot of live stuff i, I don't either it's not it doesn't really do it for me yeah but i could basically feel michael stipe's charisma oozing into my ears like it was like wow this dude i don't care if he's shy it doesn't matter what's going on but that dude even though he's mumbling and barely pronouncing words i'm like how how is he controlling the stage though like, right it's just yeah. weird but I, I loved it. So yeah, the the Murmur Deluxe Edition. <laughs> so then, coming out of that, yeah, I guess the only thing left is to ask you, what am I listening to? So I kind of gave a hint to it last episode when I told you I'm listening to your radio or your college radio type band. Like I thought REM was a college radio. Let's 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 acknowledge though that as soon as we're done recording. I forget everything that happened here. Okay. And then while I'm editing, I remember. And then as soon as I'm done editing, I forget forget. everything that happened here. Got it. So (laughs) in our Boy Sets Fire episode, you gave me this record to listen to. And I said that R.E.M. I thought was a college radio band. So I would in turn give you a college radio band record to listen to. Okay. Completely different kind of college radio <laughs> that I'm giving you. Uh, okay. But I'm giving you Pavement's record, yeah. Crooked Rain, Crooked Rain. Pavement's Crooked Rain, Crooked Rain, like twice? Yes. Okay. And do you want to give me anything to go into this, or am I going in blind? I I'm want, finding the way. Yeah, I want you to go in blind, because okay. I don't want to give anything away. Will this do. This is going to be 
incredibly interesting for me to hear what you have to say about this. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about that, but (laughs) we'll find out what I feel about the album next week. This may be your most testing record that I give you. Worse than Walking on Cars? Worse than Elliot Smith? Those two really tried to fight me. Not, I'm not saying... I, by the way, didn't dislike, didn't hate either of those. We've right. been over that. No, but no, those two records. Okay, no more, no more expectations. No more expectations. <laughs> okay. I'm going into it. I'm going into it anyway. No matter what you say, I got to listen to it anyway. So yes, I'm going to listen to it. And we'll know next week. So I guess that's it for this. That's it. Uh, follow follow us on Twitter at AOLpod. Send us an email at areyoulistening.pod at gmail.com find us anywhere podcasts are listed i think we finally accomplished that situation well you have accomplished that situation <laughs> we're we're close to being just about everywhere yeah yeah Dr- drop us uh, a line of ideas for minisodes we're still we're still willing to pack those in we don't know we've we've lost it trying to figure out what to do and we've just <laughs> given up we we've thought we had ideas for minisodes, but realized they would be like two hour long episodes <laughs> yeah. like extended sods but thank you listener thank you for listening appreciate you appreciate your ears 100 everything appreciate you scott i appreciate you brother and i'm gonna go listen to pavement crooked rain crooked rain yes you are i will too but the, the real question remains are you listening are you listening Domo arigato, Mr. Roboto. Domo, 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 domo.